Okay, so we are starting chapter two of First John, and we're going to see Christ's twofold ministry. So we're going to look particularly at two different jobs that Christ does on our behalf. Let's do a quick review of last time. Last time in 1 John 1, 8 through 10, we saw two false claims. The first one was uh, that Christians don't sin today. The other one is that people have never sinned. So let's look at them uh, in more detail. That even though Christians experience present sinfulness, to say otherwise is to walk in the darkness. So uh, if we as Christians say that as Christians we don't experience sin, uh, then we're not walking in the light that God is revealing to us that we do have sin. So instead, we ought to confess those sins. And then God is justified in forgiving all of our sins. So when God reveals sins to our life, rather than saying, oh, I'm Christian, I don't sin, we have to say, yes, Lord, this was a sin. Uh, please be faithful and forgive me. Uh, but finally, an even worse claim is if we claim to have never sinned at all. Because if we do so, we're accusing God of dishonesty which is the same as aligning him with Satan, because lying is the realm of Satan. So we don't want to do that, of course. We do not want to say that God is equal to the power of Satan um, in lying. All right, so today uh, we're going to do the first two verses of 2 John, which says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So we see two different things that Jesus is doing. He is an advocate, so we'll look at what that means, that he's an advocate. And he is the propitiation for our sins. So we'll also look at that in more detail. But first, let's look at the first statement that John makes in verse 1, uh, part A. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now remember, John is writing these in about 85 or 90 A.D., um, so by this time, he's probably about 85 or 90 years old. So he is probably older than most of the people he's speaking to. And he's also been their pastor for a very long time, or for, for quite a long time. So he's referring to them as children, uh, both in the message that they're receiving, uh, because he gave the message to them just as a father gives uh, a message to their children but also he is older than them, so he's referring to them here as younger than him. So he's not being rude here. He's actually using a term of love with them, and also one that brings them into close intimacy like a family, because remember, this is a family letter between Christians. It's not to outside of the Christian faith, so he's relating himself to them in a familial way, uh, but he's also saying that he is writing these things so that they may not sin. So all of the statements that he made about Christians sinning, he wants them to see the seriousness of their sin, 
um, but he doesn't want them to give in and say, all right, I guess I'm just sinful. Uh, he's going to say that despite the fact that Christians continue in sin, I'm not writing this to give you license to sin. I'm writing this so that you will strive not to sin. <clears throat> so he's, this is going to be our second purpose statement in the book. Uh, this is not the book's purpose statement, but this is one of four statements where he gives a purpose for some portion that he has just written. So this is going to be his purpose for writing verses 5 through 10, which were about walking in the light, not walking in darkness, not claiming that we don't sin, and, uh, and confessing our sins. So this is the reason. He's telling us these things because he doesn't want us to fall into these sins. Zane Hodges, one of our favorites, says, the statement in 1, 8, and 10 about believers' sinful tendencies do not encourage sin. They actually put perspective Christians or perceptive Christians on guard against it. If a believer tries to make the claim denounced in 1, 8, and, and 10, then he is most likely to fail to recognize and reject sin. So he's saying, because of these things that we've just learned, we want to use those to recognize and then reject sin, rather than become comfortable with it. So uh, now that we've seen a second purpose statement, we want to go back and remember what is the purpose statement of the whole book, because our purpose statements that follow it are going to be controlled by this purpose statement. So we want to remember that what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. This whole book is about fellowship. And one way that we have fellowship is by not sinning. Uh, so we want to focus on uh, being in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And one of those ways is by heeding John's word, walking in the light, confessing our sins, and um, and rather than continuing in that pattern of, okay, I sinned, let's confess. Okay, I do the same sins, let's confess. He's saying, essentially, seek an upward track of moving away from your sins. So don't, don't use the Father's willingness to forgive as license to continue sinning. It's like uh, Paul says in Romans that... Um, should we sin that grace may abound? Surely not. Uh, because God is graceful does not mean we should continue in our sins. Okay, so the second half of this verse says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now this anyone really does mean anyone. Um, it's talking about carnal Christians, immature Christians, but also mature Christians. Mature Christians are going to um, still commit sins. In fact, Christians probably sin on a daily basis still. You've probably never gone a day without experiencing sin. We still live in our carnal and mortal bodies, and the new man wrestles against the old man, and that old man is still prone to sins. Uh, so we can include ourselves in this anyone. Whenever we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
Now we've earlier seen that the Father is righteous, his light is righteousness and holiness. And now we see also that Christ is righteousness. So we see that Christ has an equal characteristic to God the Father. So when he is pleading our case before the Father, he is not doing this uh, immaturely. He, he has the right and the righteousness that merits him doing that. So the advocate uh, is one of Christ's two offices or two ministries that we are looking at in this verse. And he does this with the Father uh, based on his righteousness when we sin. And 1 John 1.8 reminds us uh, that we all do continue to sin. So we are all included in this anyone uh, pronoun. So it says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So this anyone applies to all of us. This Greek word for advocate is parakletos, which uh, we do use this word in uh, English. We call it the paraclete. It means an advocate, a helper, or an intercessor. Now the word advocate comes from the Latin word for a lawyer, someone who defends your case before another party. So we can call it a legal assistant, someone who is called to help someone else, or one who provides defense of another to a third party. So in order to have a paraclete, we need three different parties. We need the offending party and the party who's been offended. So that's us and God. And Christ is going to act as that mediator between us so that when we sin, Christ is the one who brings us back into fellowship with God. So in order to have perfect fellowship with God, remember, we have Christ who is with God, but he is also pleading our case before God. So this, this brings, of course, to mind Satan's position, which is the accuser of mankind. So Satan stands and accuses us. He is um, like the prosecuting attorney, but then Jesus Christ is our defense attorney. And he comes and says, no, my blood has washed them clean. Their sins have been paid for. So when Satan says, God, what about that sin? That's, that's a bad enough sin to send them to hell, right? And Jesus says, no, that sin too, that one is covered by my blood. So in John 14, 16 through 17, uh, we see another use of this Greek word paraclete, um, but it's not about Jesus. This one is about the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now this word another means another who is not of the same kind. So rather than being Jesus, it is another kind of helper who is the Holy Spirit. Their help is not going to be the same kind of help. Uh, the purpose was that he may be with you forever. The Holy Spirit is with us forever as our helper. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. All right, we've got a question here. How about the Holy Spirit that he is also an advocate? Isn't it Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the advocate in our lives today? 
So yes, um, but in different ways. Jesus Christ pleads our case before uh, God. He is our high priest in heaven, as the book of Hebrews tells us. The Holy Spirit is not our high priest, but the Holy Spirit is living in us, empowering us to uh, go away from sin. So uh, you can think of it, this is probably very reductive, but if you go to another country, in order to plug your phone into the wall, you need an adapter. Uh, this Holy Spirit functions like the adapter in our lives because uh, we need to have that relationship with Jesus Christ, but there is nothing good in us. Mankind is sinful inherently. We're still in our mortal bodies. The Holy Spirit functions in us as a receptor for that communication with a holy God. So in order for us to uh, have that communication with Jesus and with God so that we can be in fellowship, we have the Holy Spirit living in us and also helping us to live uh, in a way that is becoming of a Christian. Uh, so that does bring up the fact that the Holy Spirit is unique to the church. Uh, the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers before the church, and he won't indwell believers after. Uh, his ministry with the church is very unique, that he lives inside of us. So he still provokes unbelievers to believe, uh, but only during the church age does he function as a personal helper that lives inside of us. Okay, so hopefully that, that shows a bit of the distinction between Jesus as our advocate and the Holy Spirit as our advocate. When Jesus is functioning as our advocate, he's functioning as a lawyer. He is showing the legal case for our sins being forgiven to the Father. Um, in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, we see him functioning as a mediator between God and between us. So he says, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So not only is he pleading our case, but he also was the ransom for our case. He uh, paid the price himself. So he understands fully how much the price that he paid covers, and it covers all of it. So as our intercessor in Romans 8, Paul tells us that Jesus Christ is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So now we've got, he is our mediator, our helper, our advocate who pleads our case. He paid the price for us, and he doesn't stand between us and God, but he stands together with God. He is at the right hand of God. So when he is pleading our case, he is not begging for God, but rather he is functioning as God, as the assurance of the payment of our sin with God. Um, so he is not on a lower footing here than God when he pleads our case. The plea that he is giving God is absolutely sure. God will never say to him, no, your defense is not good enough. Um, he being God has provided a good enough payment and a good enough defense. In Hebrews 7 verse 25, 
the writer tells us, therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Later in Hebrews, uh, in chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ as our high priest offers a perfect sacrifice that is one time for all sins. So that unlike the Jews who had to offer every year a new atoning sacrifice, Jesus Christ offered it only once. And that one sacrifice was enough to save forever those who draw near to him. And that's those who draw near to him in faith. Those can never lose their salvation because his payment was not just for your previous sins and your present sins, but also for your future sins. Uh, so even while Jesus Christ was on earth, we saw him functioning as a mediator between God and man. Uh, and this happened when he is talking to Peter prior to the crucifixion. So he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus Christ is functioning as a mediator for Peter, praying for him to the Father, asking that the Father allow his faith to endure. Now, he's not asking God to make sure that his salvation endures. His salvation is secure. But Peter may lose his faith. And when he loses his faith, he would fall out of fellowship. So God is asking him, or Jesus is asking God, please sustain Peter's faith that even though he is tested and he's sifted, uh, that he remains in faith and in a faith relationship. This is similar to what happened to Job in the book of Job, uh, where Satan asked permission to test Job to prove uh, that uh, what Satan considered was that Job was only faithful to God because God had blessed him. So if Satan were able to tempt him, that Job would lose his faith. And through that process, Job uh, was shown to be a faithful servant because he did not lose his faith. But Job's salvation was never in question. Job believed in the one true God, and that was good enough for his salvation. He says, surely I know that my Redeemer lives, and that uh, that was his hope, that even if he died in his body, he would be resurrected uh, with God. And that would here be an equal hope for Peter, that even if he did lose his faith, even if he did die in unbelief, he would still be resurrected uh, in the resurrection. But uh, Jesus here is praying for his earthly ministry, for his witness to maintain uh, by not losing his faith. So Zane Hodges says about this verse, there is no reason to suppose that Christ must ask God to keep a Christian from going to hell as a result of his sin. So he's not up there saying, God, don't send him to hell for this sin. But rather, eternal life is fully granted to those who have trusted Jesus for it. But the consequences of a believer's failure 
his restoration and his future usefulness are all urgent matters which Jesus takes up with God when sin occurs. So remember, he told Peter that when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is not saying, I hope that you come back into faith so that you don't go to hell. He's saying, I hope that you maintain the faith so that you can strengthen and encourage your brothers. And remember, that's one of the three functions of the church is to edify the believers so that we are growing together in the church. The other two functions are to preach the gospel to the unbelievers in the world and to glorify God. So Jesus is concerned with our earthly witness and ministry here. All right, our last verse for this morning is going to be John 2, 2, 1 John 2, 2. He says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So this term propitiation um, is describing Jesus Christ, and it is the second uh, ministry of Jesus Christ. First, he is our advocate, our mediator with the Father who pleads our case. He is also the propitiation, which in Greek is hiliasmos. And this means atonement or a means of appeasing. So our sins and our sinfulness, the sin of Adam throughout all of humanity, incurs the wrath of God against sin because God is a holy God and must punish that sin because it is an offense. The other uh, use of this word heliasmos is an expiation, which means a sin offering or a means of forgiveness for sin. Uh, so some see these two terms together, that uh, our sins are forgiven, but they're not forgiven simply by being erased. Our sins are forgiven because Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. So the wrath of God, rather than coming on us, came on Jesus Christ. So he was a substitutionary sacrifice for us. So that he experienced death, so that we might not experience death. He was our substitute. In uh, John 11, the high priest Caiaphas prophesied this. Uh, prior to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So Caiaphas said, uh, or but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. So we have one man dying so that the whole nation does not die, now, Caiaphas is saying um, they want to crucify Jesus Christ so that the wrath doesn't come on the whole nation. But what Caiaphas doesn't understand about his statement is Jesus Christ is not incurring wrath on the nation for blasphemy. Jesus Christ wasn't blaspheming because he was God. But rather, the entire nation was incurring punishment and wrath for their sins and Jesus Christ, by dying for them, would pay the price for their sins. So even though the Jews were planning to crucify Jesus Christ to kill him, his, uh, his death on the cross would pay for their sin of killing him. Um, so it's, 
it's a little trippy here, but uh, uh, the writer, John, will give us some clarity on this passage about what it meant to the Holy Spirit who was, um, who was uh, promoting this prophecy. So he says, now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. So Jesus Christ did die for the nation of Israel uh, to satisfy once and for all their need for atonement, but it wasn't only for the nation of Israel. It was also for all of those who would come to faith in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 2, verse 17, uh, we see his functioning as the high priest. This would be Jesus as the ultimate high priest. Uh, remember, Caiaphas, it said he was high priest that year. The high priest would rotate, but we have a high priest who doesn't rotate. He is the final and the ultimate high priest. He says, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So this is speaking, I believe, of Jesus Christ as the kinsman redeemer. He had to be made like his brethren in order to pay the price for his brethren, but he also had to be like God. So we needed particularly a God-man who was uh, from the Jews in order that he could pay that price as the propitiation. So he was the perfect condition and the perfect set of um, characteristics and intrinsic values to pay that price. So had a sinful man died for other sinful men, it would not have been a good enough payment. But Jesus Christ, being both God and man, was able to die to cover all of our sins. So in 1 John 4, 9 through 10, this is later in the uh, this epistle that we're studying, towards the end of the book, John will say, but this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So this sending of Jesus Christ to be the payment, to be the propitiation for our sins, was an act of extreme love from God, that he did not want us to die in our sins, but rather he himself would die in place of us. So not only is he just by uh, rendering payment for the sins, but he is going to pay it himself. So he, it's his wrath, but also his payment. He says, sin cannot go unpunished, but I will take the punishment on myself. In Hebrews 2, verse 9, he says, but we do see him who, has, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, that means he became a man, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, 
he might taste death for everyone. So this is showing God's or Jesus Christ's payment being good enough for the whole world. So we call this unlimited atonement, that Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice is good enough for all men of the earth to become saved. But the only condition is that they must have faith in him. So his sacrifice, if everyone were to turn to him in faith, would not fall short of saving every single man. But they only receive this saving uh, salvation if they have faith in Jesus Christ. And sadly, many whose sins are paid for will not receive Jesus Christ's blood on their account because they have not received it through faith. Robert Yerborough says about this, the reason God temporarily overlooks human sin, that means the reason why I might lie and not immediately face death. Uh, so he is not judging it on the spot immediately right away. The reason Adam didn't die immediately after sinning is that the cross carves out a place for the exercise of divine long-suffering with not only the already saved, but also those yet to be saved in view. So Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross was not only good enough for everyone alive at that time who was already saved, but everyone alive at that time who would become saved after Christ's death, and also in all of history, even back to Adam, and in all of the future, even to the end of the ages that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was once for all good enough for all of mankind, whether past, present, or future. So that includes us today and our present. Our sins were paid for already in the past. So our past sins are still future to God's payment. When he paid for our future salvation, he paid for all of our sins at once um, so that we should never fail in our assurance that Jesus Christ has paid it all, that even our future sins do not separate us from him eternally because he has paid that price already. So Zane Hodges will close with this. Zane Hodges says, Jesus intercedes for believers in prayer to the Father that their faith should not fail. Though the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, that's his salvation, it cannot be taken away once we have it. The faith that appropriates those gifts is nevertheless subject to failure. So even though we gained this salvation through our faith, that faith, if it doesn't maintain, um, or that faith is possible to falter after it has uh, been the avenue through which salvation came to us. He can intercede for believers before God because he has personally made satisfaction to God for our sins. All right, so in summary, Jesus defends us before God when we sin. He prays for our faith to continue. Uh, he can do this righteously because he himself paid the price for our sins. Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God against sin for the whole world. And only those who approach God in faith in Christ receive the benefits of the atonement offered in Christ's substitutionary death.
All right. So that is the first two verses of Second uh, or First John chapter two. Uh, we're going to go a little faster next time, and we're going to look at four verses in less detail. But we're going to get kind of a bigger picture here. Uh, all right. So does anyone have any questions, any prayer requests, um, anything they'd like to share with the group? Um, mm -hmm. I have a question. I think it's a question uh, about about um, uh, this. I'm going. I'm going to question this because of also the benefit of the listeners that because many uh, many people believe that salvation will lost right so um, though we don't believe that but uh, just want to to comes out this kind of question that uh, is that because uh, Christ died or uh, paid our sins past present and future. So is that the uh, uh, we can you know sin or perm permitted to sin not permitted but you know if, if because we already we we already uh, the sin that we are going to commit that we don't know but we commit sin in the future forgiven already so is that the it's like we are we are doing it's okay if we are doing sin. I, I forget the word, but I... I licensed to sin. That, uh, licensed to sin, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, no, Jesus Christ's uh, payment for our sin doesn't give us license to sin. In fact, sin is still a present offense against God. And remember, our sins will bring us out of fellowship with God. But when he paid for our sins, he didn't pay for them in our present... Um, in the present, he paid for them in the past, looking at all of our sins as one lump sum. So uh, let's take, for example, some man who lived from 1900 to 1975. So he, he was born in 1900, he died in 1975. And let's say in 1950, he became a saved believer. So his 50 years of sins that had already incurred, those were paid for, but they weren't paid for in 1950, they were paid for in 33 AD. So then he had 25 more years that he lived. And during those 25 years, he continued to sin, but he sought a progressive release from sin. Remember, our sanctification is released from the power of sin that when we abide in Jesus Christ, when we remain in fellowship with him, we separate from sin. But that separation isn't always clean cut. In fact, it's very difficult, if not impossible, for a Christian to completely escape the presence of sin. Sin will still be present in our mortal bodies, as Paul tells us. So those 25 years of sins, those weren't paid for in 1950. They weren't paid for in 1975 or every time along the way. Remember, it says that Christ doesn't have to offer a continual sacrifice. Uh, Hebrews 9 or Hebrews 11 tells us that he doesn't offer a continual sacrifice because his sacrifice for one time 
was good for all of the sacrifice. So from 1950 to 1975, that man's sins were paid for in 33 AD. So for us, it, we look at it from our perspective of we're living in 2021. Our sins for 2022 aren't paid for yet, but that's not true. Our sins for 2022, even though we haven't known those sins, even though we haven't experienced them, Jesus Christ experienced them on the cross when he took all of the sins of the world on himself. So even the sins that we haven't experienced, they are not unknown to Jesus Christ. And he did not know that we would commit those sins. Um, but also our past sins were still future to him, and he knew of those as well. So uh, the day that we became saved through faith, through Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ wasn't unaware of our future sins. He didn't save us only in the past, but he saved us in our present future as well. So he knew at the moment of our salvation that we would fall out of fellowship with him through sinning. But his prayer to God is that even though we might sin, because remember, it's a lie if we say that we don't sin. Uh, even though we sin, Jesus Christ is praying to the Father that our faith will endure because our faith will be the foundation of bringing us back into fellowship with him. Uh, that without faith, we can't come back into that fellowship. Without faith, we can't walk in the light that exposes sin to us so that we can confess it and walk in a good relationship with Jesus Christ and the Father. So Jesus Christ asks for that faith to be maintained, not for our salvation to be maintained, because our salvation is secure already, but our faith might falter. Does that answer Thank the question you. well? <laughs> okay. Yeah, Good. very well. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay, does anyone else have any questions or prayer requests? I think prayer request. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Yeah, I have to later. Yeah. Uh, you have prayer from my family that you will also have uh, uh, experience salvation. Mm -hmm. Because in the family, I'm the only one who who, who are Christians. So, yeah, I'm praying for also for them for a long time, but mm -hmm. <laughs> until now. Okay, we will pray for them. How many family members do you have? Oh, all of them. My brothers and sisters and, and my son. Oh, okay. Okay, we will pray. Absolutely. Okay, Janet, do you have a prayer request you say? Yeah. Um, I'm uh, going back to the Philippines. I'm thinking about that. Mm -hmm. But I want God to decide. You know, I was, I was thinking uh, recently to get rest, you know. So, yeah the final decision i already i already talked to my husband regarding to that but i'm yeah i'm thinking also the church that i am in so yeah difficult decision though it is yes um and that would be back to the philippines yeah that's a difficult decision yeah in the philippines um i don't have a church like uh what i do here in hong kong in right. my place i have a church there but far from in my house so right. i don't know 
but I still want to serve God when I'm going back to the Philippines. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the question is, uh, what God's plans for me? If He wants me to stay here or going back to the Philippines, right? Yeah, that's very true. We want to always be seeking God's glory through our decisions. Uh, okay, we have a prayer request from Nita as well. She says, please pray for the world healing from the virus and to those who are spiritually sick and those brokenhearted. Yes, absolutely. We will pray for those as well. Nita and Riza, we're glad to see you. Uh, we're glad you were able to come tonight. Okay, well, let's let's pray for these three things and uh, and then we'll close so you guys can get some sleep. <laughs> okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have fellowship together with you and with the Father. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our advocate, who keeps us in fellowship with Jesus or with Jesus and God, and who is also our propitiation, who paid the price for our sins, that we might approach God in faith. Lord, we pray for Lisa, uh, Lisa, who is... Uh, whose family is not um, not in a relationship with you. Uh, we pray, Lord, that, that you seek them and that you change their hearts, that they might come to know you, that they might come to have faith in the one advocate and the one propitiation for all of our sins, and that is Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we pray that it would bring glory to you that all of her family be saved, that they could all experience uh, eternity together with you. Lord, we also pray for Janet, who is trying to make a decision whether or not to return to the Philippines. We pray that you guide her and make your will known to her, that she might glorify you um, by walking, uh, walking with you in the ways that you would guide her. Uh, she's, she has a heart to serve you, Lord. We know that she'll do that wherever she is, but we want you to put her where you need her. So Lord, please guide her. Uh, also, we have a request from Nita to pray for the coronavirus around the world. Lord, we do pray for healing, uh, both uh, physically and spiritually for the world. Um, the uniqueness of this virus has been that it has destroyed the faith and the comfort of many Christians, but... Uh, Lord, we pray for the physical healing of those affected by the virus and also the churches and uh, the individuals who have been affected by the, by the backlash from the virus. Um, Lord, we pray that you restore those churches which are preaching your true word, that you bring believers back into the body of fellowship so that we might fellowship together, not forsaking the meeting of the body. Lord, we also want to pray for the brokenhearted around the world, uh, that you comfort them, that you bring them strength, that you guide them in your light and in your way, and that they walk with you. Lord, we pray all these things in your glorious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen.